What is up, everybody? JT Sports here. Back to you guys with another episode of the JT Sports Podcast. On this episode, I'm going to be giving you guys my college football week seven reactions. Tennessee upsets Alabama. Michigan blows out Penn State. And Utah squeaks past USC. If this is your first time listening to the JT Sports Podcast, Welcome. I appreciate you for tuning in. Make sure that you follow me on all of my social media platforms. You can follow me on Twitter at JT Sports underscore underscore and on Instagram at JT Sports underscore. If you're listening to this episode on YouTube, make sure that you go ahead, leave a like, subscribe to the channel. Make sure that you check out the JT Sports podcast available on all podcasting platforms. Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you get your podcast from, the JT Sports Podcast is available. Make sure that you go ahead, check it out, and leave a five-star review. Listen to the JT Sports Podcast on all podcasting platforms and leave a five-star review. Tennessee upsets Alabama 52-49. This was one of the greatest football games that I have ever watched. And I'm not talking about one of the greatest college football games. I'm talking about one of the greatest football games ever. Out of all of the NFL, college football, high school football games that I've watched, this has been one of the greatest games ever. Because there were so many twists and turns in this game. Because... Tennessee came out absolutely hot. I mean, they were guns blazing. They were up 28 to 10 early in the second quarter. And if you're an Alabama fan and you're listening to this right now, I want you to comment what your reaction was. Were you a little bit surprised? Were you worried? Or were you calm? Were you saying, you know what, yeah, Tennessee is up on us early, but we're going to come back because we have Jameer Gibbs and Bryce Young? Well, if you were one of the calm Alabama fans, you deserve a huge round of applause because I didn't see too many of you guys on Twitter. There were a lot of Alabama fans who were freaking out about the defense and, you know, There was a point where even me, I knew that Alabama was going to find a way to climb back into the game, but I didn't know that Alabama wouldn't be able to seal the deal. Alabama has 17 penalties in this game. Absolutely unbelievable. I can't recall... The last time I saw this much dirty laundry in the football game since my first middle school game that I ever played in. I mean, there were penalties every single play in that game, but it was just unbelievable. I mean, you had the pass interference call that led to Tennessee tying the game. I mean, there were just so many penalties on Alabama behalf that make you just scratch your head and say wow like are we really watching a Nick Saban coach team right now when is the last time you can recall Alabama having this many penalties in the game oh I can 
Remember when they nearly lost to Texas early this season? They also had a lot of penalties in that game. However, they were able to escape because that was Texas. However, they couldn't escape this time. You were not going to be able to have 17 penalties and still be able to beat Tennessee if you were Alabama. That just wasn't going to happen because, you see, Tennessee had Hendon Hooker at quarterback. And the reason why Texas lost and why Tennessee was able to beat Alabama is because when Texas needed big plays from their quarterback down the stretch, they couldn't get it. Quinn Ewers left the game. Hudson Card had to come in. And although he didn't play bad, he didn't play good enough to beat Alabama. You see, when you think about all of the teams over the last couple of years who have upset Alabama, they all have had historical performances from their quarterbacks. And even then, remember when Texas A&M upset Alabama with Zach Calzada? Even though Zach Calzada didn't have the kind of performance that Hendon Hooker had in this game, or Johnny Manziel did years ago in this matchup, he performed outstanding considering the expectations that people had for him going into that matchup. So you got to have a superstar s performance or kind of like a phenomenally of a performance if you want to be able to upset Alabama and you have to get that performance out of your quarterback and Tennessee got that today out of Hendon Hooker Hendon Hooker made a strong strong claim for the Heisman Trophy after this game I mean the dude was lights out and although he did have one interception he made up for it. And, you know, it's crazy because if you were an Alabama fan and you felt calm about your chances of being able to come back and win this game because you had Bryce Young, you probably were feeling the same way if you were a Tennessee fan. Because no matter what happened, Hendon Hooker always had an answer. He always had a counter. He always had a mean right hook. And even when Alabama got hot and they had scored 18 straight points and Tennessee was yet to respond during that span, you still could see that Hendon Hooker and Tennessee was still really composed. And then eventually... Hendon Hooker and company, they ended up getting back going again. Jalen Hyatt, I mean, the dude was sensational tonight. Six receptions for 207 receiving yards, five touchdowns. I can't remember the last time I saw Alabama secondary get towards single-handedly by one wide receiver. This was crazy. I mean, Tennessee's offense was absolutely dominant. And even though Alabama's defense hasn't been the greatest this year, I mean, for Tennessee to come into this game and for their offense to roll the way they did was sensational. And going into this matchup, you know, you knew that there were going to be a lot of points scored in this game. But 
If you were to tell me that Tennessee was going to hang 50 points on Alabama's defense, I kind of would be a little bit taken back by that. Now, I wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't laugh at you or call you crazy for that because I definitely could see that happening or could have had seen that happening. But the chances of that happening in my eyes would have been pretty low. At best, Tennessee gets to 42-45, but them getting to 50? I thought, no way. Well, that happened. I mean, Tennessee's offense was looking like a well-oiled machine. And Nick Saban and Alabama's defense at times, they couldn't really get set. I mean, there were a lot of blown coverages by Alabama's defense. Lack of communication on their part. And it was mainly due to the tempo and pace of Tennessee's offense. I mean, Tennessee really came into this game and they really came and played their game. You see, oftentimes when you have teams playing Clemson, Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, they get thrown off their game. That didn't happen with Tennessee. And... You look at this win, you definitely have to say that Tennessee, without a doubt, is the best team in college football right now. I just don't understand how you can't. I mean, this team just took down Alabama. Not only that, but they do have a pretty good quantity of ranked wins. They beat Pitt. You got this Alabama win. I mean, this Tennessee team right now, without a doubt, has to be your number one team if you are out here doing power rankings or AP polls. If you're an AP poll voter, Tennessee deserves your first place vote. Now, they play Georgia in a couple weeks. Now, before the season, we all said that, well, I won't say we all said, but a good amount of us pretty much said that If Tennessee is to have a season where they make it to the SEC championship game, they're not going to do it beating both Alabama and Georgia. Well, they beat Alabama. Now can they beat Georgia? And even then, before the season, I don't even think too many people thought that Tennessee could even beat Alabama or Georgia. I mean, most of us probably thought that Tennessee didn't have a chance in any one of those games. And yet they beat Alabama. So, I mean, they do have a pretty good chance of being able to beat Georgia. I mean, this offense is explosive. Their defense can get stops in critical moments of the game. And on top of that, they can actually clutch up and make field goals when they matter. And... For Alabama, it's really shocking when you look at how many mistakes they made in this game. I mean, you had the debacle with the punt return that gave Tennessee another possession. I mean, Alabama, you know, gave Tennessee this game. And despite that, you know... They almost stole it away from them. 
Despite giving them this game, they almost took it back from them. They almost took back their gift. And that goes to show you how good this Alabama team was. But at the same time, that also goes to show you the kind of performance that Tennessee had in this game. Because let's be honest. This Tennessee team right now, kind offensively, reminds me a lot. Well, I'm not going to say that. But they do have some similarities to that twenty that 2019 championship winning LSU offense. Now, I don't think that they have the kind of star power that LSU had at wide receiver that year. Because, I mean, what? They had three NFL wide receivers, Terrence Marshall, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson. Tennessee definitely does have some really good wide receivers in this room, such as Hyatt and Brew McCoy. But I don't think it's as good as what that LSU room was that 2019 season. However, their quarterback is really good. Hendon Hooker, he's efficient, doesn't take care of the ball. He's really good in third down situations. I mean, it's just really hard to get Tennessee's offense off the field when Hendon Hooker is cooking. So let me know what you guys think about Tennessee's upset bid against Alabama 52 to 49 how far do you guys think the Vols can go this season can they beat Georgia will they beat Georgia will they remain unbeaten let me know down in the comment section down below if you're listening to this on YouTube Michigan blew out Penn State 41 to 17 now this game wasn't a full beatdown. Penn State did actually manage to keep this game close up until the third quarter. Late in the second quarter, they had a big pit six on JJ McCarthy, which gave them a small 14 to 13 lead. But right after that, in the closing seconds before halftime, Michigan drove down the field, got three points, and went into halftime with a 16 to 14 lead. And then in the third quarter, that's when Michigan took this game by the throat. Donovan Edwards, Blake Corum, they've been unstoppable all year, and they were once again unstoppable in this game. Donovan Edwards went for a 67-yard touchdown run, right? And then right after that, Blake Corum said, you know what? I can do just as good. And he went for a 61-yard touchdown run. And this was like back-to-back. And I was just saying, wow. Penn State's defense just has no answers for Michigan's offense. Michigan had over 500 yards of total offense. The majority of that yardage came on the ground. It was unbelievable. Donovan Edwards, 16 carries for 173 rushing yards. He had two touchdowns. He was averaging 10.8 yards per carry. Blake Corum had 28 carries for 166 rushing yards, 5.9 yards per pop, and two touchdowns himself. I mean, this Michigan rushing attack is the best in college football, not even in the debate. And when you look at their ball control offense, if you get down against Michigan, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. 
Because the way they can take time off the clock is just it's just really easy to them. There was one drive that they had in the fourth quarter that was nearly 10 minutes. Penn State only had the ball for 18 minutes and four seconds in this matchup. Michigan held the ball for 41 minutes and 56 seconds. And then when you look at Penn State's offense going into this game, I went with Michigan because I didn't think that Penn State had enough firepower on offense to push Michigan defensively. When you go back to the Maryland game a couple of weeks into the season, Maryland actually gave Michigan a really tough game. You want to know why? Because Maryland had a good offensive line. They had several NFL caliber wide receivers. They had Talia Tagovailoa, one of, if not the top three best quarterbacks in the Big Ten right now. And Penn State had Sean Clifford. And Sean Clifford isn't a bad quarterback. As a matter of fact, he's a solid quarterback. But when you're trying to beat Michigan, Ohio State, with what they are now, sometimes you're going to have to be put in situations where you need your quarterback to keep pace and make big throws. And you see... Sean Clifford wasn't bad in this game, but there were some tough throws that Penn State needed him to make that he couldn't make. And it's not a knock on him that he couldn't make those throws. They were tough throws, but they were throws that if you had a Quinn Ewers or Bryce Young level quarterback at the helm, those throws would have been made. And those throws, if they would have been made, they could have changed or altered the outcome of this game. Penn State's offense didn't do anything on the ground. Nick Singleton was a big talking point heading into this matchup. What was he going to do? He's been pretty good so far for Penn State into his young career. Well, he only had six carries for 19 rushing yards. So the run game was neutralized. And when Penn State had to throw the football, they couldn't really find much success there. And I mean, your defense was on the field for 41 minutes, pretty much 42 minutes. And when your defense is on the field for that long, of course, they're going to get tired. They're going to get worn down. And it doesn't matter how much depth and how much talent you have on the bench. I mean, eventually everybody's going to end up getting drained. And this rushing attack for Penn State, I mean, it was non-existent. And on the other end for Michigan, I mean, the only thing they wanted to do was run the football. They love it. They love imposing their will against you. They love demoralizing you. You know, Michigan is one of those teams that they literally will run the football all game, every single play, if you let them. And if you're Penn State, you know your offense isn't that explosive. You know, I was a little bit disappointed with the play calling on Penn State's behalf. I felt like they could have been a little bit more creative 
when you know that you're at a talent disadvantage, even if Penn State and James Franklin went into this game thinking that they had enough talent offensively, you have to be able to analyze the situation of the game and be able to make adjustments off the whim. Right after the first quarter, Penn State should have known that offensively, they didn't have enough talent to really be able to do enough or be effective against that Michigan defense. And they probably should have tried to be a little bit more creative and tried to try to scheme some more things up. But you know, in college football, there's only so much you can scheme up. There's only so much you can do to overcome a talent disadvantage. I mean, Penn State just, they hung in there for the first three quarters. But eventually, Michigan just kept knocking and knocking with that run game. And in the third quarter, Penn State's defense just absolutely fell apart. They couldn't do anything. It was just like a it was like a dam, right? It was like a leak. The dam had a small leak. And then people came to pass it up a little bit. But yet the leak came back. And this time the leak is just even bigger. And then they try to patch it up again. And then eventually the leak just ends up breaking the whole entire dam down. And things just fall through. The water's falling down. Everything's falling apart. Everything just comes crashing into the river. And that's kind of how this game was for Penn State. You know, the first three quarters, you were encouraged if you were a Penn State fan. You were saying, you know what, we're in this thing. And then especially when you got that pick six, you probably were thinking, oh, man, like this is what we needed going into halftime. And then Michigan counters. And then it's just like Penn State could never really get into control of this ball game. Seems like every time they tried to get some momentum, Michigan would just kick them down. And then in the third quarter, Michigan not only kicked them down, but they stood over them and kept them down. Michigan improves to 7-0 on the season. Their next three games are against Michigan State, Rutgers, Nebraska, and then after that, Their last two games are Illinois and Ohio State. Penn State, 5-1, their first loss of the year. Still a lot to play for, still not out of it. You got Minnesota coming off a loss against Illinois, Ohio State right after that. And then you go on the road to play Indiana. So for James Franklin, definitely was a disappointing result. Many, well, I'm not going to say many, but, you know, I kind of thought that Penn State would be able to keep this a little close. I definitely thought they would cover that six and a half, but that didn't happen. Michigan is just a really good football team. And if you wanted to call Michigan the second or best team in the country, I wouldn't blame you. Now, me personally, I still don't think that they're better than Tennessee, You definitely got to put Tennessee up there right now for what they've done, especially getting a big win over Alabama. But Michigan is playing some really good football right now. And I think the scary thing is that this defense is playing at their peak. This defense has hit their stride. This offense, I still think, 
hasn't hit their stride simply for the fact that I think that J.J. McCarthy still has a lot of things that he can show us in the passing game. I'm still waiting for him to have a game through the air where he just looks phenomenal. And he has had some pretty good games throwing the football, but I want to see him do it against Illinois or Ohio State. So let me know what you guys think about Michigan's blowout win over Penn State 41-17 down in the comment section down below. The Pac-12 has been my favorite conference in college football to watch this season. I think that this conference hasn't been talked about enough. Yes, the Big Ten and the SEC get the majority of everybody's attention, and rightfully so, because those currently are the two best conferences in the sport right now. But the Pac-12 has some really good teams, and there also has been a lot of very good games played in the Pac-12 this year. And Utah versus USC was another great game that this conference put on display now, Utah got the win, 43-42. to I want to give a huge round of applause to Utah head coach Kyle Whittingham for deciding to go for the two-point conversion to win the game. Now, you may say, oh, JT, you only like the decision because it worked. Even if it didn't work out, I still would have agreed with the decision because at that point of the game, Utah had all the momentum. They just went down the field and got a big touchdown. And then you go ahead, you get the two-point conversion. You pretty much seal the win if your defense can hold on for a couple more seconds. Meanwhile, you look at the rest of college football. This season, you have teams going into overtime. They lose momentum. Or you have some teams who don't even get to make it to overtime because their kicker misses the game-tying field goal to send the game to overtime. So for Kyle Winningham, that decision took a lot of guts, and it took some big balls to make. But it worked out, and it was a really good decision. You see, when it comes to deciding when to go for it on fourth down or when to attempt a two-point conversion try, it's not all about analytics. Sometimes it's all about filling out the game, filling out where your team is from a momentum standpoint. And I heard Urban Meyer say this a couple years ago when he was part of the Fox um, sports team before he took the Jaguars job. And I think for Kyle Winningham, that decision kind of was reflective of you know, understanding the fact that Utah right now had the momentum, their offense was clicking, they were hot, USC's defense couldn't really get a stop. So, you look at how this game went, and earlier on, you would have thought that this was going to be a blowout, because USC was out to a 21-7 start. I had a homeboy post on Twitter, the Pac-12 plays no defense. However, it's funny because in this game, yeah, you look at the box score and you're probably going to see a lot of stats put up, a lot of crazy numbers. Both of these quarterbacks balled out. However, these defenses definitely played 
a tale of two halves. USC's defense played well in the first quarter, but Utah's defense, on the other hand, they had a stretch in this game where they were able to slow down USC's offense enough that it allowed Utah's offense to start getting hot. And once Utah's offense got going, it didn't really matter if Utah's defense got another stop because Utah was going to be able to keep up with USC's offense. Plus, the U's got the ball to begin the second half. So they were able to tie the game 28-28. to However, USC's offense was also rolling, and they got a lot of big plays in this game. Caleb Williams, I definitely see why many people view him as a future number one overall pick. And I'm not even going to lie to you. I kind of thought that Caleb Williams was just a tad bit overrated prior to watching this game. I didn't think that he had a very good arm. I know that he was pretty accurate, but boy, he has a really accurate deep ball. Not just that, but he's Houdini. He was rolling out one play. He kind of faded back and threw um, a pass to Mario, Mario Williams that almost went for a touchdown. It would soon lead to a Travis Dye touchdown after, but that was a ridiculous throw. And he doesn't have a Patrick Mahomes or a Josh Allen arm, but he has a pretty strong arm. So you look at how well he played. He had three touchdowns in the first half. Absolutely ridiculous. This offense itself had three touchdowns their first three possessions. I didn't think that Utah's defense was going to get a stop, honestly. But they were able to settle in. And Cam Rising played phenomenal. Cam Williams, Caleb Williams played very well. But Cam Rising played even better. He was 30 of 44. He threw for 415 passing yards, two passing touchdowns. But he also had three rushing touchdowns also. And that's what impressed me the most. And it's funny because when you look at Cam Rising... He doesn't really strike you as the quarterback who you think would be tough as nails, running through you, but that was him. I mean, he had a couple of runs. He had a first down run in this game when he carried a couple of USC defenders with him. You was like, whoa. Even the announcers were like, whoa. And I was like, whoa. He's kind of like a... He's kind of like a great value brand version of Kyler Murray in a sense. It's a little small, but he's really quick, agile, and he really picks up yards, and he's really good. He he was the star of this game. Him and Don Kincaid probably could share player of the game honors. I mean, Don Kincaid was a one-man wrecking crew. 16 receptions, 234 receiving yards. Think about that, 234 receiving yards. For a tight end, not a receiver, a tight end. In today's age of college football, how many offenses are really featuring their tight ends? Not too many. And not just that, but he went for over 200. Before halftime, when Utah scored that 
last touchdown going in to make it 28 to 21. Don Kincaid literally got the ball on every single play that drive. Literally. USC had no answers for him. No answers. And I think when you look at overall how the receivers played for USC, I mean, Mara Williams, Jordan Addison, they were phenomenal. But Dalton Kincaid's performance was even more phenomenal. I mean, for him to have the kind of game that he had for a tight end in today's age of college football is ridiculous. But what really surprised me late in this game was Utah's defense getting that stop after they had that red zone fumble, which is something that Utah has been doing a lot of this season. I don't know why they struggle to take care of the ball in the red zone. They turned it over in the red zone against Florida. They had a red zone turnover against UCLA. I mean, they need to do better. They need to do a better job of taking care of the football inside the 20. You can't be giving up free possessions when you get inside that range. But I think their defense came up really big after that turnover. Because that's really when USC's offense should have put the nail in the coffin. But they didn't. And they got the ball back. And that's eventually what turned the tides and helped them win that game. Because it's funny. USC's offense seemed like it couldn't be stopped in this game at all. But there were stretches when Utah's defense was able to get two, three stops and it was able to help their offense put some points up and get back into the game and eventually win the game and buy their offense time to get going. And you see, every time USC got put in a situation where their offense really had to get a big play, to really keep the momentum on their side, they weren't able to do it. And the biggest drive when they needed points the most, they weren't able to do it. It's crazy because they were able to get points in bunches, but when they needed points in the critical spots, they they ain't get them. So hats off to Utah for getting a much needed win. This loss now puts the Pac-12 in a situation where UCLA is probably your only hope of now getting into the college football playoffs without it having to come down to the hands of the committee. And then when it comes to the Pac-12 championship picture, Oregon and UCLA are still undefeated at conference play. So for Utah, USC, Not only are they going to have to continue to win or win out, but they're also going to need some additional help as well. Plus, they got to beat them. So let me know how you guys feel about Utah's win over USC 43 to 42. I appreciate you guys for listening to this episode of the JT Sports Podcast. Remember that the podcast is available on every single podcasting platform. Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts from. The JT Sports Podcast is available. And I will see you guys with another episode shortly of the JT Sports Podcast.